Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have a returning special guest, Kaylee McDevitt. She's a registered dietitian, but she's not just a dietitian. She's amazing. That helps her clients overcome hormone and digestive issues through personalized nutrition. Kaylee runs a virtual private practice and is co-creator of the online women's health course and community, Her Hormones Academy. Her life's purpose to empower women to take the driver's seat over their health and well-being. What an amazing purpose. Oh my God. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> right? how, how rewarding to be able to uh, be living your life purpose and showing up every day in the comfort of your own home True. to what you absolutely love. How, you yeah. know, talk about that. How amazing yeah. is that? Um, so amazing. I mean, I feel lucky to do this work every day. And I think back on years and you and I share some job history where I did not feel at all like I was in my purpose. Um, so to be in a spot where I feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing is uh, like an honestly huge blessing every day. It is. It truly is. I really think that for a lot of society that they truly are not connected with their purpose. And Mm -hmm. because of that, it creates a lot of stress and that stress keeps them stuck like in this negative cycle. And, um, um, you know, unfortunately it really has a negative impact on, on their life, their physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Oh, so yeah. what, kind of see, what kind of things do you see in practice? Because I know that you specialize uh, specifically in helping women mm-hmm. with their hormones. And ultimately, you and I both know that the route to hormone <laughs> dysregulation yeah. is stress. Mm-hmm. So what's the connection? What do, yeah. we, uh, what do we see with cortisol and stress as well as blood sugar regulation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Um, so the foundation of of women's health and like optimal hormones and really feeling and functioning well is for your brain to feel safe. Like that's, if we were to whittle that down into one statement, that's really what it comes down to. Because when we think women's health and hormones, we're usually thinking like reproductive organs, or maybe we're thinking thyroid, but those are like second tier players in this game. Your brain is really orchestrating this whole event and your brain is calling the shots on whether or not those hormones are even made or how much of them are in what balance. So if the brain is not feeling safe, that's why we're having hormone issues in the first place. And your brain is gathering input from the food that you eat or don't eat, the movement that you do or don't do, the sleep that you get, the stress that you have, (laughs) um, the world that you're living in, which has been inherently a lot more stressful the last year year plus. Um, And if we've got all this unchecked stress, The brain's like, "Mm, now's probably not the time to be bringing new life into the world, which whether or not your goal is to bring new life into the world, that's, you know, the foundation of balanced hormones. Um, That's when we start to see issues with hormones. So I've been seeing this. I mean, I saw it before the pandemic, but a lot more since then, because people's stress has been a lot higher and mental health, just not as good, but you see this showing up as irregular or absent cycles or really symptomatic cycles, Um, fertility struggles, miscarriages, 
Um, even like lower level symptoms, just like bad PMS, weight gain or weight loss resistance, headaches, skin issues. Like there are so many things that can come from unchecked stress. And the root of that is your brain not feeling safe. Right. So I love it. I love it that you and I have the ability to have these really in-depth conversations and tie the psychology along (laughs) with the physiology. And the truth is, is that, you know, our brain can't, can't differentiate between physical, mental, and emotional stress. So whatever it perceives as being that stimulant for stress, and a lot of times it can be a cup of coffee on an empty <laughs> stomach, Amen. <laughs> right? And, and, you know, unfortunately there is lack of education around um, the impact of things that we're doing. I see so many people, you know, I'm working in, in mental health, right? Right. And so I'm seeing so many people who are really struggling to feel good. They're depressed. They're anxious. Anxiety is through the fucking roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are just so anxious right now and they don't know how to get control of themselves. And so when I start talking to them about, well, let's talk about this anxiety in the morning, walk me through your routine. Mm-hmm. You know, they're waking up, they're hitting their cigarettes or their vape. They're uh, <clears throat> drinking their one to five cups of coffee on an empty stomach, on an empty stomach, and they're not eating anything until, you know, I don't know, noon, one, two in the afternoon, and then they have ridiculous cravings all through the evening and through the night. So let's chat about that. What's happening there? <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like you just described minus the cigarettes and vape, but like the empty stomach coffee, the like five cups of coffee, the waiting until noon. That was me in grad school. And I you know, was an anxious, absolute disaster back in those days. Um, so a really important piece of this whole stress conversation is actually blood sugar stability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that doesn't get a lot of attention because it's not like a fun or exciting topic. But if our blood sugar is swinging up and down all day, that is a significant stress on the body. That's something that's so tightly regulated. And when we are veering outside of those normal realms, we've got some backup mechanisms that can come in and and take over. And one of them is making more cortisol, the stress hormone. So if we wake up, we don't eat breakfast. um, We drink some coffee, which is already raising our cortisol. That's why it typically feels good to drink coffee and we're fasting, you know, until maybe noon and we don't have the the reserves to be able to do that, our body has to dump a whole bunch more stress hormones into our already taxed system in order to maintain blood sugar, because that's an indicator or a function of the body that really can't go outside of a pretty tightly controlled realm without like dire health effects. So your body's got your back. (laughs) Yeah, right, like like a minor coma. Um, So our body's got ways to prevent that from happening, but if we're using stress hormones to do it, we're basically kicking ourselves while we're down or pouring salt into the wound. And we're just adding insult to injury there. And I see that a ton and I've lived that a ton. Right. Well, and another thing I think that isn't, you know, discussed enough as well with this conversation around blood sugar regulation and, and stress hormone, when we are releasing a lot of cortisol into the bloodstream that's contributing to temporary insulin resistance. Oh yeah. Which is what's part of contributing to that increased hunger later Mm -hmm. in the day where we become ravenous specifically for undesirable foods. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And at that point, you know, that willpower is not even an option. You know, this is a physiological need for sugar that we can't overcome by white knuckling it through the kitchen or the candy aisle. So I think a lot of people beat themselves up and just chalk themselves up as I have no control. I am a sweet tooth. And it really has nothing to do with that. Right. This is where most individuals really start shaming and guilting Mm -hmm. themselves because they lose that willpower towards the end of the day and they cave and they indulge in, you know, larger quantities and portions of those undesirable foods. And then they perceive this as I suck. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. It's not for me. I'm not meant to lose weight. I'm not meant to feel, you know, my best. And then ultimately with that whole cycle of thinking, what's it doing? Stress. (laughs) Stress, right? We're calling 50 trillion cells in our body that it sucks. Mm -hmm. And so these cells are like, fuck you. Exactly. I'm going to show you. (laughs) You think you're fat now? Let's see what happens. Yeah. um, You know, it's sad because there's such lack of education around this. And we, we've heard for, I don't know, since the beginning of time, breakfast is the most important meal, but then we have diet culture that comes out and then uh, it tells a conflicting story. So I hear, you know, all the time people say, well, what about intermittent fasting? (laughs) And I, this is the only way I can lose weight. So What's happening there? Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) So a really important disclaimer here is that almost all nutrition research is done on men. Um, And that's because women are more complicated. You know, we've got a different hormonal environment every two weeks, like radically different. And that changes our metabolism. It changes our response to dietary interventions. And they, we, we don't respond as well to extreme diets. Men are more tolerant to that because they don't have the responsibility of carrying life at some point if they decide to do so. So if we think about this person that, you know, has all these stress hormones going on, they're, you know, transiently insulin resistant, like you mentioned, which is a big reason why people struggle to lose weight. And then they're looking at the headlines on the magazine as they check out about intermittent fasting or keto. And they're like, well, I'm not losing weight. I must have to do this harder. I must need to eat less or extend my fasting window more. And then the body's like, oh my God, we need even more cortisol. We become more insulin resistant. And we're in this position where our goals and our body's goals are at opposition. You know, body's trying to survive. We're trying to manipulate the body. And when we're not aligned in our goal, like we go nowhere and we burn out. Absolutely. It's a mess with the diet industry. Yeah, it is. And you know, in, in my experience, even the men that I've seen whom take this approach, it really does number on their psychological health. They, you know, their uh, neurotransmitter function, their hormones for their mental health, they take a toll. And then, um, and then, you know, what I've seen personally is that it can take anywhere from a year to two to three years to rebound back into a healthy state. But most people are super impatient and they put that work in. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to dive in. I want to kind of segue this conversation Mm -hmm. into female health. All right. Um, I know that there is just as many males out there listening and this information is just as applicable for them when it comes to stress and what's happening with blood sugar regulation and intermittent fasting and all of that. But here's what I want to talk about. So when we are 
releasing cortisol and mm -hmm. most of us are in a chronic cortisol state we're truly just addicted to our nervous system response that yeah. nervous system has been conditioned at a very early age to be its set point of survival that's mm -hmm. safe right it doesn't know good or bad it just knows safe and alive right. And so when we're in these chronic states and we're releasing cortisol into the bloodstream, it's literally altering the pH of the blood, making the blood become more acidic. And then majority of the population is eating a lot of refined processed foods, a lot of red meat, a lot of dairy, which is mm -hmm. also contributing to acidity when it comes to the pH of our blood. So the truth is most of us are literally in a state of survival at all times. Mm -hmm. And this is the root to why we females specifically, but men as well, are not producing sex hormones at an efficient rate, right? Mm -hmm. We, they're not essential for survival. Yep. The body is going, ah, uh, yeah, I don't need to procreate right now mm -hmm. in order to stay alive. But this mm -hmm. acidity is impacting my brain, heart and lungs. So I got to take care of this first. And then because most of us are nutrient deprived, we're nutrient deficient, we don't have appropriate resources available to support all functions in the body. Yeah. And we're allocating everything we can just to neutralize the pH of the blood to keep our heart, lungs, and brain functioning. Yeah. So with that being said, how is this impacting the female cycle? Mm -hmm. yeah. So how, how is this impacting, you know, well, let's, let's really talk about females in the sense that most of them, because of their dysregulation with their mm -hmm. sex hormones, yeah. it contributes to some really horrific, really horrific uh, PMS symptoms. Mm -hmm. And when we go to the doctor, you know, conventional doctors to discuss these symptoms that we're experiencing, they typically just get prescribed birth control mm -hmm. at a very early age. And then that's having an even bigger impact on the hormone function. So kind of talk yeah. to the audience about that whole process. Sure. Yeah. So uh, like you explained with the way that chronically living on stress hormones essentially is just sapping us of resources, right? Like we're living in a survival fight or flight state. Um, we have to divert all resources to survival and maintaining the pH of the blood and making hormones like sex hormones becomes kind of like uh, an unnecessary accessory because we don't need that in order to survive, but we do need that to feel good. So when we are using all of our resources to make stress hormones and just do basic survival functions, we don't make the hormones that make us feel good. And it's really that that causes the PMS symptoms. And I know I certainly grew up believing that periods were a nuisance, that they were gonna be awful that you know, it was common to need to miss days of school or work because we had miserable cramps. Um, and I remember being like dreading it when I heard about this and I had all of these crazy symptoms too. And, um, and I was put on birth control like within a couple of months of ever getting my period, which is a big issue too, which we can talk about. Yeah. Um, and I think that it was a shocking revelation to me when I learned that periods shouldn't be symptomatic. Like <laughs> it's very common for them to be, but that's not normal just because everybody's experiencing that. And when we think about all the nutrients that are required to make these hormones and to keep them in balance, and that if we're living on stress hormones, all those nutrients go elsewhere, it makes a lot of sense that if we grew up conditioned to need this much cortisol in our system, that we're always going to have these symptoms with PMS. Right. We don't have the energy or resources to do otherwise. Yep, 
Absolutely. So unfortunately, we really are conditioned, you know, um, at a very early age to think that we are a victim of our cycle. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, we have to treat it with pharmacological agents in yeah. order to manage. But the truth is, is that almost every female I've encountered whom has taken the pill as the mm -hmm. solution to minimize the cramps and the, you know, moodiness and all of the things, um, they don't they don't really have any relief. No, <laughs> that's because it's not a solution, right? It's a Band-Aid. Right. So what, what are the, some of the negative consequences of taking yeah. birth control, being on birth control for a long period? Yeah. So hormonal birth control is supplying really high amounts of synthetic sex hormones. Some of them are doing synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone. Some are just one or the other. But the idea or the way that this works is it's actually shutting down the body's own production of hormones. So we no longer have that brain to ovary communication so that we don't ovulate. And without ovulation, there's no chance of conception. So that's how that's working as pregnancy prevention. And that was the original design. But they also realized, hmm, if we can just shut off hormone production, we can maybe solve hormone related symptoms, which for some women, I mean, I know for me, at a young age, I went on birth control because I had really symptomatic cycles. Like I was miserable. I wasn't missing school and going on birth control did for a, a short period of time, solve that for me, or at least mask that. But because it's not addressing what was causing those symptoms in the first place, it's literally slapping a big old bandaid on top. Um, when you come off of that, those issues are still there. And often they're very much worse <laughs> because they've been screaming and being suppressed for so long. And then we also have some other consequences of those synthetic hormones. And it's that they do not function the same way that our own ones do. So they carry increased risk for things like depression and anxiety for um, blood clots. They stress the liver because now the liver is having to process all of these synthetic hormones. They actually alter the gut microbiome, which is crazy. And they deplete us in a bunch of heavy hitting nutrients like B vitamins and magnesium and vitamin E, um, all of which we need for hormone production, by the way. Right. And ironically enough, all of those things are also, um, not methylated there. You know, we have, we have issues when we're under constant stress response, those specific vitamins and minerals are getting depleted because we're not methylating them efficiently with changes in the hydrochloric acid in our stomach. Mm -hmm. And then we're not taking in great sources of nutrients in the first place to meet our needs. Yeah. So it really does become a vicious cycle. And if we, I'm a huge fan of less is more, the more that we can take things out of the equation and just focus on the whole foods, the mm -hmm. easier it gets at really solving a lot of these problems that are contributing to the physical perceived stresses in the body, not necessarily addressing the emotional and the mental stresses, but at least mm -hmm. we're checking the boxes to minimize those physical stresses. So um, with that being said, when, uh, you know, with people who are on the horm or are taking birth control and they're hearing mm -hmm. this conversation and they're like, oh shit, Maybe I should consider getting off of the pill and starting to go about this in a natural, more natural approach. What advice do you have for them? What kind of things can they expect and what kind of steps should they take to prepare to get yeah. themselves off birth control? For sure. For sure. Um, when I'm walking, cause this is a, a very common reason somebody might work with me is to navigate this because it's overwhelming. 
Um, and there's not a ton of information out there. And typically when you give this idea to whoever prescribed the birth control, it's met with, oh, so you want to get pregnant then? Yeah. They bully them. Yeah. They literally guilt and bully them. It's really Mm -hmm. bad. Yep. I know. And it's so it's false. I mean, it's completely false that that's your only option. And, you know, in my own story with this, my, I was presenting symptoms, like it was a lot of mood symptoms for me for a a better part of a decade. And I would explain this and it would be dismissed. There's no way that's from your birth control. That's all in your head. Um, Do you want an antidepressant on your way out? Like that kind of stuff. And it happens to a lot of clients. Um, So I just want to make sure that you know that this isn't your only option. And we'll definitely talk about those options. But if you're being met with that kind of response, it's probably time to find a different provider. We need somebody that's going to listen and and validate you and partner with you and respect your interests. Um, Next up, we need to do some historical digging. What were your periods like before you went on birth control? If you went on birth control because they were symptomatic, because you had a ton of acne, because they were painful, because they were irregular, just know that that's probably going to come back and that's okay. You know, we can navigate that with a root cause approach, but it's good to be prepared to what and to what to expect when we come off. So typically whatever was the problem before is still an issue because nothing has been addressed. Um, and then we also have the added stress of, you know, liver, gut, and micronutrients all being taxed by birth control that we have to support. So what I like to have women do is if we can, um, a couple of months before they want to go off, we really heavily support those three systems. So working on supporting the liver through diet and lifestyle, and maybe some supplements, same thing for the gut. And we work on the nutrient repletion. First and foremost, with a nutrient-dense diet, like that's non-negotiable when we're talking about coming off birth control. Um, And then we might replete some things if they're deficient. And then when we come off birth control, if we continue to support those systems, we can mitigate a lot of the symptoms that typically happen when we have this like abrupt rebound of having to make hormones again. I love it. So what is your opinion on... um pellets, like women who are perimenopausal or postmenopausal, and the doctor is recommending that they start taking pellets. These women, you know, they come to me and they're like, oh, but I'm feeling great. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, it's a temporary situation. I know. So talk to me about that. What's your opinion? Yeah. So, you know, I think my, my views on hormone replacement therapy have evolved somewhat over time. Um, And I think they probably will as I go through that in my life down the road too. But I think it makes sense to me if it's bioidentical that there may be some value there, right? Because we are living longer than we used to. And there's some real benefits to having those hormones around by way of like protecting our heart and our bones and like enjoyment of sex and life. So I can, I could see the argument for using that if it's done correctly, it's done for you individually and it's bioidentical. Um, I'm typically not a fan of pellets or anything inserted that's not regulating how much is getting released at one time, or we don't have the ability to manipulate that once it's inserted. And then anything synthetic is a big no-no in my book too, because synthetic hormones stop the production of your own, which is the opposite of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate because one thing that, you know, really isn't discussed when women go to the doctor and are considering these approaches is that Mm -hmm. these medications, they're not having a direct focused impact. It's throughout the entire bloodstream. And this is going to contribute to imbalances with our mental health and our cardiovascular health. This is why we've seen historically 
an increase in brain aneurysms and heart attack in women who have taken these approaches to increase their energy and mood. Right. Or maybe lose some weight, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the truth is I'm going to be 45 this year and I have the most amazing periods. Like yeah. I have great periods, you know, for the most part, um, I had noticed that the last couple of months with me trying to find a home <laughs> and lack of sleep, that that did have a negative impact on by not getting appropriate sleep. It had a negative impact on my sex hormone function and uh, some symptoms were created. But for the most part, I don't experience bloating. I don't have heavy mm -hmm. cramping. I don't get really tender breast. I don't get moody. I don't have all of those things. But for the last 27 years, I've also embraced nutrition as one of my non-negotiables and really, you know, I'm an 80, 20, I believe 80% of the time, really focusing on having those wholesome nourishing foods. The other 20% of the time I have flexibility with my diet and, and can, you know, indulge. Um, but I get to pick and choose when I want to do those things. It's not a constant. And I'm really grateful for that because in my opinion, I truly have been able to reverse the aging process. I, I have insane energy, insane energy. People I can vouch for that. Having met you in person. How much fucking caffeine do you have? They're like, you know, you like, how much caffeine are you on? I'm like, oh no, babes, this is natural. Yeah. Is all natural. <laughs> and I feel really blessed because I meet these 20 year olds whom they can't hang, know. you know, mm -hmm. they're like, Oh my God, who the fuck are you? And how are you doing this? I'm like, it's easy. <laughs> I'm like, you just got to start making some small changes, but I want to chat about, um, how we, women, if we can learn our cycle, which we are not taught, this is yeah. not something we're educated on. If we can learn how to work with our cycle, we can actually use this to our benefit. Yeah, I know. I, this is one of my favorite topics because I think this allows women to feel like actual superhumans. Like I think it's magical. Yeah, I know it is. It's complete empowerment. And I hope that this is eventually taught in school and, you know, maybe we'll be able to help make that be the case, but I certainly was not taught anything about this. <laughs> yeah. And I remember navigating my own period issues, like after having become a dietitian, like years and lots of money in school in a health field. And I knew nothing about this. And I felt like a huge fraud. Yeah. <laughs> um, <Thank you. laughs> it was bad, but it's not that way anymore. Thankfully, there's a lot more people talking about this. There's good info out there, but understanding your cycle allows you to not only be able to troubleshoot it if there are symptoms arising now we're not just like throwing darts in the dark like we know okay if a symptom's happening here it's probably because this is out of whack it gives us a lot of ability to course correct mm -hmm. but there's also some big changes that happen in our metabolism in our exercise capacity in the way our brain works and the way we can show up in our job and in life that yeah. changes across you know a roughly four-week cycle that if we're in tune with that we can literally plan our life around that and just like be rock stars right absolutely <laughs> You know, it's funny because I just had my cycle during my move. So yeah. the week that I was packing and actually moving was when I started day one through mm -hmm. my, through day, you know, seven. And I was kind of laughing. I was like, man, this sucks. I wish this could have just been two weeks earlier. I would have had such insane energy. I would have yeah. felt like superwoman. 
I was still really impressed with the progress and everything that um, I was uh, capable of doing. But if we can understand our cycles, we can really plan our lives and set ourselves up for success. You know, I, I feel for these women, especially entrepreneurs who are like trying to launch programs and they're working night and day and, and they're just absolutely exhausted. And it's like, well, if you understood your cycle, mm-hmm. you would know that there are two specific weeks throughout the month that you're going to feel a lot more energized. You're going to feel a lot sexier. You're going to feel certain things and you can use that to your benefit. Like for instance, let's say you want to plan a vacation. Yeah. You want to have, you know, an intimate vacation with your spouse, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what better time to do it than during those, that two week window where yeah. your hormones are set up to support you being that little sex intimate kitten mm-hmm. and having energy and all of the things, but we don't know this. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you, uh, you nailed it with the entrepreneurs too. Like you can literally plan launches or rolling out of a product or uh, a speaking engagement, like anything that's going to need higher energy and confidence. If we can schedule that according to your cycle, oh my gosh, does it make a big difference? It does. It's really huge. I really advocate, advocate for women to be tracking their cycle. Yeah. You know, when I have these conversations, most of them have no clue. I'm like, oh, what's yeah. your cycle? I don't know. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. What is even day one? Yeah, I know. I know. Most people have no clue that day one is when it is. And it's when mm-hmm. that cycle starts. Um, another thing is there's a lot of misconception around um, ovulation. That's yeah. another one. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So ovulation is really the event of the menstrual cycle. I think we always talk about periods because that's what we're noticing outward, but none of that happens, like no period, no chance of, of conception unless ovulation happens and really no hormone production unless ovulation happens either. Again, that's how birth control is working by shutting that ovulation down. And that's happening roughly day 14 of a 28 day cycle. But that, I mean, I very rarely meet women that it happens exactly on day 14. So for those that may be trying to conceive or maybe just wanting to know when they're ovulating for um, like family planning purposes or avoiding conception, we have to learn how to figure out when that's happening. And it's not as simple as counting 14 days from the start of your period, as nice as that would be. But there are really three things that we can be looking at. And this is um, called fertility awareness method when used all together, which is an amazing form of birth control. If you're looking for a non-hormonal option, Um, we're looking at changes in basal body temperature. So we can track that with a regular oil thermometer, or there are several devices out there that do it now. Um, And that's going to confirm whether or not ovulation happened because there's a rise in our basal body temperature, a subtle rise only after we've ovulated. And then we have two markers that are actually going to tell us ovulation is imminent. So that's changes in cervical fluid and cervical position. So if we track the three of those, we're getting a warning that ovulation is coming and then we're confirming that it happened. And it allows us to really narrow in on, you know, a day or two window of, of ovulation, which is how we can control preventing pregnancy or promoting pregnancy. Absolutely. And I think another thing that people don't realize is that, you know, we've been taught that we have this five day ovulation cycle. <laughs> and the truth is we have 24 hours one day, of yep. that cycle. But where that, that idea of that five day cycle comes in is that sperm can yep. live up to five days. 
And so that's where it gets a little bit tricky is understanding, you know, that based on when you're having intercourse, that sperm has the ability to stay in there and fight for its cause mm -hmm. for, yeah. <laughs> for at least five days. Um, and then also, you know, another thing, a lot of times women are taking all of the responsibility of mm -hmm. not being able to get pregnant. I'm fundamentally flawed. It's me, but we're seeing men are a lot, uh, a lot of the time contributing to the cause mm -hmm. of not being able to conceive. So what kind of advice do you have for men out there to take mm -hmm. responsibility and accountability for their selves and their mm -hmm. behaviors if their spouse is trying, if they, I shouldn't say spouse, if they yeah. are trying to conceive. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it, it typically is centered on women. You know, the responsibility of, of preventing pregnancy is centered on women too, even though it takes two people and then same with fertility, but you know, mitochondrial health, which I don't want necessarily mean to take us down that whole rabbit hole, but that's energy production in the cell. And when we're thinking about hor making hormones and uh, fertilizing an egg, like how richly energy dependent that is, we need uh, male and female counterparts to have enough cellular energy to make that happen. So we could have the most pristine eggs, healthy female. And then if the male is not taking care of himself, he's eating junk food, he's drinking, he's smoking, he's not sleeping, and he's not managing his stress. Those sperm don't have the energy to do the swim that they need to do and to you know, make contact with the egg. They're basically just like sloths, you know? Yeah. Yes. They're just tubing down the lazy river. We need them like Michael Phelpsing into their destination. And that comes from nutrition and lifestyle. I mean, we have so much control over that. So um, I'd say if you're embarking on a fertility journey with your partner, both people need to be nourishing themselves and taking care of themselves well. Otherwise, what's the point here? And there's all kinds of testing men can do too. But I think even before we go down that path, it's just taking care of yourself is non-negotiable. Absolutely. Yeah. Such great advice. Such great advice. And I think it's important that we really raise awareness that this isn't just a one-sided street. It's mm -hmm. a two-way street and both sides need to be covering their, um, you know, the things that they can be doing to set themselves mm -hmm. up for success. I, I see so many couples doing fertility treatments, spending anywhere from 30 to $150,000 you know, and it's like, well, we could avoid a lot of that if mm -hmm. we just really start empowering ourselves and having self valuing, wanting to make these changes, yeah. because not only is it going to increase the likeliness of you being able to conceive, but it's also going to increase how you show up yeah. during the pregnancy and after, afterwards, mm -hmm. you know, bringing that baby home and um, being able to have the energy to okay. ebb and flow through the restless, sleepless nights and, and all of the things. So um, such great, great topics to talk about. So I also want to chat with you um, about endometriosis. Mm. What in the hell is endometriosis? <laughs> that is a good question. Um, endometriosis is an interesting condition. And I feel like it seems at least in my neck of the woods to be increasing in, in uh, not popularity, but prevalence, you know, yeah. 
Um, and maybe that's because we're looking for it more and testing is getting a little bit better, but endometriosis is an inflammatory condition where the tissue that should just be lining the uterus, the endometrial tissue is actually growing outside of the uterus. And that tissue responds to fluctuations in hormones, particularly estrogen, and it is proliferative. So in response to estrogen, endometrial tissue grows and expands and, um, gets filled with blood and basically is making a nice home for a potential baby. Now, when that tissue is not where it belongs, when it's outside of the uterus, so maybe on the outside of it, on your ovaries, or maybe even on the bowels, because it can go in any neighboring area. If that tissue is growing and expanding, we have a ton of pain and inflammation from that. So the hallmark symptom of endometriosis is like very significant life altering pain, particularly around periods of the month where estrogen is highest. Um, we have fertility issues that come with that as well. Um, cycle irregularities that come with that too, but it's the inflammation of that tissue and that tissue being where it doesn't belong. And there are a ton of theories about endometriosis. I wouldn't say it's totally nailed down yet about what's causing that. Um, and because it's a tissue thing, like we can't test for this in the blood, though they are working on that. It's really hard to diagnose. And on average, it takes women about 10 years of being in this kind of pain before they get diagnosed with it. Wow. So technically, does this fall into an autoimmune condition? Some people believe so. I think it makes sense in, yeah. in my book that it would. Isn't it interesting how um, we have just, we're just seeing continuous prevalence in all of these autoimmune disorders. Mm -hmm. And if we really think about the stress response and what's happening in the body and the impact that it has on our immune system function, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Totally. I mean, for me, I, I see the big picture. It, it makes a lot of sense. And when we're under stress, we're increasing the inflammatory response, mm -hmm. right? So it, it makes a lot of sense to me. me so too. why, why are they using birth control as a solution to mm -hmm. manage endometriosis? Yeah. So endometriosis flares when estrogen is high. And if we were to zoom out and look at what should be happening with our hormones over the span of a menstrual cycle, we should have a rise and fall of estrogen that actually triggers ovulation to happen. So the idea with giving someone birth control is that we're leveling that we're not getting a rise and fall in estrogen anymore. We're not getting it at all. We're just getting some synthetic hormones. And so if we can maybe take away that spike, we can prevent some pain and some like growth of that endometrial tissue where it doesn't belong. And for some women, I do think it does help with the pain, but it's still very much a band-aid. It's not getting at, why is that there in the first place? Is there something else we could be doing to stop estrogen from being a little too crazy than it should? Is it a lack of progesterone that's not there to balance out the effects of estrogen? Is there something that we need to do with the gut microbiome? Because there's some really interesting research going on about um, actual like bacterial changes in the areas um, in the abdomen where endometrial lesions grow and how that's related to imbalances in the gut microbiome. So birth control as symptom management as a band-aid, which is really how it's used in any other condition too. But that's the rationale behind that for endometriosis is let's level out estrogen. Mm -hmm. So what kind of holistic approaches can women take to help manage their endometriosis more efficiently? Yeah. Um, anything we can do to decrease inflammation. So diet and lifestyle, of course, like just good food, lots of beautiful fruits and vegetables, good quality proteins, anti-inflammatory fats. Um, 
working on estrogen metabolism is really big too. It's not uncommon to have too much estrogen. I think if anything, that's the trend that most women fall into, probably because of all the stress that we talked about and issues with our gut, because the way that we remove estrogen happens in two steps in the liver and in daily bowel movements. So if we have a bottleneck in any one of those places, we're going to have too much estrogen. Um, so thinking about cruciferous veggies, getting good quality protein to give us the amino acids we need to actually conjugate these toxins in the liver and then taking care of the gut so that we have great poops every day. Like that's such an underrated piece yeah. of this puzzle. I love pooping. I just noticed that. I love pooping. Pooping is so important to talk yes. about. You know, we really have to be looking at our poop because our poop is it's guiding us towards potential roots, things mm -hmm. that are not going well within our body. Um, so I love it. I, I love all, I, I just, I feel like I could always just talk to you forever. And oh, likewise, so <laughs> much that we can chat about. Um, so, you know, real quick, one thing that I want to chat about with you mentioning the liver and how vital the liver is and mm -hmm. hormone production when we're in these chronic stress states and we have high concentrations of cortisol, the liver is what's clearing cortisol mm -hmm. out of the bloodstream. So if we're on birth control, if we're taking medications for our mental health, if we're using plastics that contain BPA and we're using hygiene products that have all of these parabens and all of these mm -hmm. phytoestrogens in them, how is the liver going to be able to do its job of clearing cortisol efficiently to support its ability oh my gosh. to maintain hormone function? It can't, it's too much because the liver does so many things. I mean, everything you just mentioned was a ton for the liver to do, but it does a lot of other stuff as well. And we just can't ask that much of a single organ. So things break down. And you know, if we can't process all of those toxins efficiently, we store them in, in body fat. So that's another reason why people get stuck with an inability to lose weight, despite all of this effort is it's literally your body defending you from a toxic situation by sequestering that and like putting it somewhere so that the liver can eventually get caught up on this backlog of tasks. So, um, it, it can't keep up with that. And then we have health breakdowns. Yeah. And when we're overweight, the, you know, the fat cells themselves start becoming little estrogen. They do. And yep. unfortunately not the preferred favorable mm -hmm. estrogen. It tends to be in, you know, the estrone putting us in a more estrogen dominant state. Yep. And so we're really stuck in that vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. and then we're bad mouth in our bodies nonstop, you know, I can't lose this weight, body checking, all of the things. Yeah. And then that's just contributing to more stress. I know. How yeah. do we get out of this? <laughs> I think at least my personal opinion is starting with the body literacy piece, like learning your cycle. How do we know where we are? How do we maximize the benefits of each phase to our benefit? Um, and then doing what we can to get in alignment with goals. So body is looking at survival and balance and homeostasis. I truly believe it's always trying to come back to that and, and that it does know how to heal and has the ability to just, we get in the way typically we, or the life, you know, the world that we live in gets in the way. Um, and then we have to be in line with that too. And that often means putting like vanity goals or timeline goals on the back burner for a bit and like meeting your body where it is, giving it the space to heal and saying like, we'll do this together on your time. 
And how can I nourish and support you to do all the amazing things that you need to do? And weight loss and a lot of those external things happen as a side effect of that. And it's really difficult to think about it that way. Well, because we've been conditioned otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Culture um, has taught us not just that, but also our conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, typically when we go to the doctor and we start describing our symptoms, a lot of times what we hear is, oh, that's just the aging process. Mm Mm, that sucks, but yeah. it's life. Yeah. Or we hear, oh, it's genetic. Mm-hmm. It's genetic. Well, guess what? Genetics play 1% role. 99% is lifestyle. Yep. And we have the ability to control that. Yep. So it, we really do have to take ourselves out of that victim mentality of it being genetic because that's bullshit. It's, yep. it's just, sorry to, sorry guys, you know, some of you <laughs> might be triggered right now going, what the fuck are you talking about? No, my family history. No, sorry. You've been conditioned to behave the way that you are. And it's time to wake up and realize that we have the ability to take control mm-hmm. of what's happening in our body. And if we truly value making those changes, it's a game changer. Anything oh, yeah. is possible anything is possible. It's, there is nothing more rewarding than working with a 60 year old woman who has suffered her entire life with MS starting at the age of 25 and seeing that woman who couldn't even stand at a kitchen sink for more than two minutes to be able to take a 50 mile bike ride or a five mile hike empower them to be able to do things that they never thought they would be able to do. It's just the most rewarding thing in the world. And we all have that capability. Amen. Well said. Yeah. All that. Well, Kaylee, it has been such a pleasure having you on and chatting about all of these things. So what kind of things are going on in your world? How can the audience find you? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me again. I always feel like we could chat forever. (laughs) Um, So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I do most of my things. Um, It's at Kaylee RD. My name's spelled weird. It's K-A-E-L-Y. My website's the same, KayleeRD.com. And I do a lot of educating over there. Um, I'm going to be hosting a bunch of free like webinars, workshops, Um, as a way to get people off Instagram, I just really felt a need to do some educating in a different space and to be able to have a container to talk more in depth about topics. You know, you can only do so much on Instagram. So if that's ever of interest to anybody listening, you can find info about that on my Instagram. I'll always post when they're happening and I'm going to, I've got a couple of them coming up soon, which should be really fun. Um, well, thank you so much, so much for all the work that you do and give back to helping to educate and raise awareness and advocate. I mean, I'm a huge fan of you. I've been a huge fan of you for a long time. I am so grateful to personally know you and feel so supported. Um, you guys, if you aren't following her, she's absolutely amazing. She's got an incredible Instagram page and she makes awesome graphics to really dissect this stuff into consumer friendly information that can be very, very impactful with empowering ones to take action. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for the work you do and for nurturing our relationship on and off the internet. (laughs) Well, I'm so proud of you and it's so exciting to see you living your life purpose. And through that purpose, you're helping to enrich the lives of others 
I think that it's such a beautiful gift, you know, waking up and offering gratitude every day. I feel so blessed to be in this space and to be able to take my life experiences along with my education, knowledge, and skills, and to be able to share that with others. So go you. It's amazing. <laughs> when we can be in a space of gratitude, that in itself helps us stay in alignment with our parasympathetic nervous system yeah, yeah, yeah. so that we can be in that resting and digesting space. So mm -hmm. go yeah. you. You too, Heather. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.